Chapter Fifteen of the Woodpeckers by Fanny Hardy Ekstorm. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. How each woodpecker is fitted for his own kind of life. We have studied the woodpeckers at some length. First, what all of them do. Next, what some that are peculiar in their ways do. Lastly, how each is fitted for a particular kind of life. At first, we were inclined to think they were all alike but now we begin to see that there are very real differences between them, in tails, feet, bills, and tongues, and at the same time in their food and habits. The flicker's tail is less sharply curved than that of any other woodpecker, a sign that he is probably not exclusively a tree-dweller. His bill is curved and rounded, a pickaxe rather than a drill, an indication that he does not dig for grubs. His feet do not tell us much, but his long extensile tongue shows that, whatever he feeds upon, he seeks it in holes. We find a tongue like this in no other bird, but among mammals the aardvark, the ant-bear, and the pangolins are all similarly equipped, and all live on ants which they extract from their mounds and burrows in hundreds by means of these round, sticky, and extensile tongues. This is precisely the way the flicker gets his living. He lives principally upon the ground or near it, pecks very little except when digging his nest, and feeds largely upon ants, thrusting his head into the ant hills and drawing out the ants glued to his tongue rather than speared by it. As he has been known to eat three thousand ants for a meal, we see how much easier this is than spearing them one by one. The redhead is another type. The bill is still nearly of the pickaxe model, the feet not especially different from the flickers, the tail rather better adapted to life on a tree trunk, and the tongue entirely unlike the flickers, not very extensile, and heavily clothed near the tip with long, thick, recurved bristles. We infer that though he may climb well, he is not a drilling woodpecker to any great extent, and that his tongue is adapted neither to extracting boars nor to eating ants from their burrows. His habits bear out the inference. He is arboreal, but his food is either vegetable or picked up from the surface, rasped up rather than speared. The sapsucker presents still another variation. The points to the tail feathers are more acuminate, and the tail itself more resembles that of the tree-dwelling woodpeckers in shape. The feet are fitted for clinging to the trunk. The bill, now perfectly straight and no longer smoothly rounded, but buttressed by strong angles that spring from the base and run down toward the tip, is the bill of a woodpecker that lives by drilling. But the tongue is wholly unadapted to catching grubs. What kind of food can an arboreal woodpecker with a drilling bill find upon a tree trunk when his tongue can be extended only a fifth of an inch, and is furnished with a brush of bristles at the end? We have answered that question before. He eats the inner bark of trees and laps up the sap, for which this brushy tip is excellently fitted. It has been observed that the tongue much resembles the tongues of insect-eating birds, which cannot be extended beyond the end of the bill. It is true that the sapsucker catches great numbers of insects, taking them on the wing like a flycatcher. But he also eats nearly as many ants as the flicker, though their tongues are totally unalike. We have made the mistake, perhaps, of thinking that ants live only underground, and can be obtained only by tongues like those of the flicker and the ant-bear, which hunt them there. 
but ants are abundant on the surface of the ground, and they excavate long tunnels in rotten wood. The black bear is a famous ant hunter, yet his tongue is like a dog's, and he gets his ants by lapping them up after he has torn open the rotten logs in which they live. This is the way that the sapsucker obtains his ants, and the brush of stiff hairs is a help to him in such work. We see, then, that it is not so much the food as the manner of feeding that explains the form of the tongue. The downy and the hairy are a step farther along in their development. The fourth toe is longer than the others, a condition that we do not find in any of the woodpeckers not strictly arboreal. The tail is of the improved pattern, holding by a brush of bristles rather than by one stiff point at the end of each feather. The bill is heavier, broader at the base, more heavily ridged, and in every way a stronger tool, and the tongue is highly extensible, and of the spear pattern, sharp-pointed and barbed with recurved hooks. Everything about these birds indicates that they are fitted to live on tree trunks and to dig for borers. This, indeed, is what they do. But the great logcock and the ivory-billed woodpecker, though of the same type as the other larvae-eating woodpeckers, are more highly developed along the same line. We notice the great strength of the feet, the claws as large and as sharp as a cat's, the enormous weight and strength of the bill compared with that of the other woodpeckers, which enables them to cut into the hardest wood and even into frozen green timber, and the great development of the tail, which now becomes a strong spring to support and aid the bird in his work. As we try to group these particulars under general heads, we see that we have observed three things that the structure of a bird is adapted to its kind of life, that the structure varies by small degrees with the kind of life, that the kind of life is conditioned largely upon the kind of food and upon the method of procuring it, more particularly the latter. These are not so much different truths as three aspects of one truth. When we study the first, we see why birds are grouped together into orders and families. We study their resemblances. When we observe the second, we see why they are divided into species, for we note their differences. But when we consider the third, and reflect that birds have the power to choose new kinds of food, or new places and means of getting it, we see how it is that there can come to be new kinds of birds, new subspecies and species springing up from time to time. Wonderful and improbable as it seems, there is more reason to believe than there is to doubt that new kinds of animals and plants are constantly in process of making, that the laws of change are constantly at work, adapting creatures to their surroundings or crushing them out of existence because they will not learn new ways. And it is probable that these differences, which we mark in the woodpeckers, have been the results of efforts to adapt themselves to a peculiar kind of life where food was abundant and also that by acquired habits and by acquired tastes for different kinds of foods, they will be subject to still further variations in the future. End of chapter 15